I think to be an artist, the very fundamental thing is to be truthful to yourself. I believe art is a form of language for expressing ourselves as an artist or as a member of a human being. And our experience, understanding of this world, of the past, uh, of the place that you're born, of the country that you live in, constantly become the ultimate source for inspiration. From drawings of Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, with a pistol to her head, to Chinese President Xi Jinping, portrayed as Winnie the Pooh, the controversial cartoonist, artist and rights activist Bao De Chao criticises Beijing through his work. Born in Shanghai in 1986, he now lives in self-imposed exile in Melbourne and continues to use his art to explore censorship and human rights abuses, including the manipulation of historical memory about the Tiananmen Massacre, the forced cultural assimilation of Uyghurs, pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong and China's position on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. His name is a pseudonym, originally used to protect his identity, which is also why, until 2018, when the Chinese authorities discovered his real name, he wore a mask. Since then, he's been the victim of stalking, cyber attacks and a possible home invasion. He fears he could disappear at any moment. I'm Georgina Godwin, and I spoke to Bao De Chao on The Big Interview. Baudia Chow, welcome to the big interview. Art is very clearly in your DNA. Tell us about your grandparents. I am born in an artistic family back in China. My grandpa and his brother were actually quite famous filmmakers, probably the first generation of filmmakers in China in history. And they were very much celebrated as director and actors from... 1930 until 1950, when China's Communist Party is in power. Initially, they think they are achievements in the film industry will somehow create protection for them. However, they were being very naive by the time. So during 1957, when uh, Mao Zedong, the first China's communist dictator, launched this campaign called The Hundred Blossom, which is actually a purge design to basically eliminate anyone with free thinking as artist and intellectual. So in this bloody campaign, my grandpa uh, was sentenced to a forced labor camp because of the film that he made. He didn't made out from the camp alive. He lost his life there. And very soon because the hardship and persecution my grandma also passed away and that led my dad become an orphan when he was only five or six years old during the period. So yes, I guess I am very lucky to be born in an artistic family that gives me a lot of hope, potential, but also confidence in making art, in being an artist. But also the tragedy coming with the talent is well, if you love art and if you're born in a country which will go through communist horror like China, then it's also a curse. And I wonder how that background affected your upbringing. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and, and the circumstances around your schooling and also your decision ultimately to study law. Well, 
obviously there's no escape from family tragedy like this, even though my parents actually, they never really wanted me to be an artist because they think it's too dangerous. They don't want me to repeat the tragedy of my great parents. However, you know, I didn't really listen to them now, but they did try it. You know, my father actually always said that he'd rather me to be uh, a hairdresser or a chef because that has nothing to do with ideology and I will never lost job because people's hair always grow and people always getting hungry. So if I be a chef or a barber, then I will never lose my job and get myself into trouble. However, uh, I don't think their plan worked out very finely, even though, you know, like those stereotyped Asian parents, I guess my parents are fitting into that stereotype category as well. So they want me to have a decent job, like being a doctor, engineer, or lawyer. There's nothing about, you know, believing rule of law, but just think this could be a very good career and probably will bring me decent salary to have a better life than theirs. However, this is just not something that I really after. I think my academic achievement was not bad, so I actually get myself into a law school. But as I grow up and starting search the meaning of my life, that I know I would waste my life if I do something that I don't like. But I also know if I weren't pursuing what my great parents did, it will almost be like a suicide mission back in China because so many signs and incident and policies has proved that this very ruling party hasn't changed the persecution against my great parents' generation. This brutality against creativity, disobedience, or thinking outside of the box is still a taboo. So when I realized that, and when I realized I cannot really see a future, of my way to pursuing my dream back in China. So that was the time I made my decision that I have to leave. I have to find another place. Tell us about the incident. You were watching a film when you really had a, a moment that did change the course of your life. Well, I know a lot of, lot of interview questions like going through that incident. And that is indeed a very memorable and important incident that happened to me which is how I know about the Tiananmen student movement and the Tiananmen Square massacre. Only in a very late time when I study in the university in China. But I want to emphasize this, that I don't really believe that a person can be changed over one night after seeing one thing or knowing one incident. But there's always certain incident that does sort of completing the understanding of puzzle of your life, um, or you can call it the, the last draw that will crash the camel. So how I know about the Tiananmen massacre is really a incredible story because censorship that's going around in China that prevent every use from my generation. And I believe for the coming generations and the generations before, those taboos like political incident and, you know, big massacre against ordinary citizens, students like what happened in 1989 will never be passed to any generation. And when I grow up, nobody really mentioned about the Tiananmen movement. Nobody's never mentioned about tanks crushing students on the streets on 
June 4th, 1989. And I only know it for a total accident. What happened is during the university time, me and my friends, we pirating films online. And that was quite a while ago and before the online streaming time. So you ha actually have to download the movie or the film that you want to watch. And sometimes you just don't know what you will download from the website. And for this time, we believe that we have a film which is like a Taiwanese action romance film. But when me and my classmates started watching it and suddenly the very film turned into a documentary and it, it's a documentary about the Tiananmen Massacre. We didn't expect it. But after watching it, we cannot denying that it's happened because all the footage is it's three hour land documentary. There's no way to denying the existence of this movement, nor the bloody ending of the massacre. However, it's also incredibly shocking because it does not happen that long ago. But how come nobody knows? in my entire peer in the university. And I was studying in the law school. So this is absolutely a amazing experience, but also shocking experience. And it was one of the factors in, in you deciding to go and resettle in Australia. Tell us about that process of starting again in a new country and deciding that you would focus your work on art. Well, obviously, unplug yourself from your motherland, then you know, diving to an entirely new culture, a new language is not an easy process. And actually, I have a very clear mission that I want to leave China so that I can fulfill my potential. But I also know that there's no shortcut, there's no silver bullet. I have to go a detour in order to achieve this dream. So I went to Australia, I studied a master's degree of teaching for primary school kids, which is something that I never imagined that I will do. But for Australian, um, apparently because the hardship of being a teacher and, uh, you know, not so good payment, so it become like a kind of immigration career that attract a lot of people who want to leave their original country and reinvent themselves in Australia. So I studied that program and I've become a teacher for actually two or three years before I have the green card, the permanent visa. And only after that, I started to, you know, making art and pursuing my dream. So yes, that's a quite golden time that I pay to, to become me, to become the artist that I want to be now. And what is the artist that you want to be? How would you describe the purpose of your work? I think to be an artist, the very fundamental thing is to be truthful to yourself. I believe art is a formal language for expressing ourselves as an artist or as a member of a human being. And our experience, understanding of this world, of the past, uh, of the place that you're born, of the country that you live in, constantly become the ultimate source for inspiration for any artist's, you know, expression. And for me, I am born in such a family. I am born in such a country. And human rights issues, political issues, freedom, democracy, the lack of them is always something constantly haunting to me in a personal level because of my family history, but also 
as a person who have different experience in different academic backgrounds that giving me a very heavy sense of sort of social responsibility. So I am very much paying attention to the reality. You know, I respect artists can have the privilege and luxury to pursuing the parse to make art for the sake of art. But to me, my life is heavily tangled with all those crying and tears and blood that happen in China. So I have to focus uh, with my art on those issues from the history and also paying attention to the current period where those people who do not have a voice, where those people who cannot tell their stories to the outside world. And I want to use my art to be their voice. And that is always that I'm trying to do within my art. I'd love to talk about some examples of your work. I mean, I know that some of the strong themes are memory manipulation, also the, the sort of China-Russia relationship at the moment, uh, Hong Kong, for instance, or the Olympics. You've been very strong on all of these subjects. I wonder if you could just talk us through how you represent these in your work. I think it's actually a terrific question. And it's actually also a huge challenge to me. You know, I spent a lot of time um, to working on China-related subjects, not just about China, but majorly about China. However, I am so far away from this country. Yes, I do have more than 20 years living experience there. However, I also left the country for so long. And to be able to representing and to be able to communicate what is going on now inside China that is the ultimate challenge to me for artists now is no longer in that land. But I think fortunately that social media is providing a lot of credible source and possibility to connecting with the people who are still suffer under the vision of Beijing. Like the Hong Kongers in 2019, when they start their anti-extraditional bill protest and when the protest lasts for almost six months, that become my perfect uh, opportunity to building a relationship with Hong Kongers, knowing their stories and representing their pain and desire for freedom and democracy within my art. Then um, proudly seeing the art that I create during the protest become feedback to the protest itself, to actually having people holding my work during the march on the streets. And I do appreciate that the trust that the people back in Hong Kong give me, talk to me, you know, write to me and telling me how they feel and which become the soil for my art to grow. And then the fruit also becomes something that they can help their voice to be heard beyond the wall, beyond Hong Kong and to the broader community like in Australia, and I also believe that in UK there is a lot of audiences as well. One image that reoccurs in your work, and in fact you even have a tattoo of it, is Tank Man, the man that bravely stood up to the tanks holding his little shopping bag in Tiananmen Square. Why is that so important to you? I think there are several layers of meanings of it. Firstly, I do think the Tiananmen Massacre is still one of the most tabooed topics back in China. Well, the Chinese government couldn't figure out a way to actually 
creating a narrative to twist it and to persuade people. And the only thing they can do and they're still doing now is making this memory disappear. And Tankman is one of the most iconic moment or individual that merged during the movement, particularly when the massacre happened. And we still don't know who Tankman is. Someone says his name is Wang Weiling, but there's never a credible record showing who is this guy and what happened to him. But all we know and seen is this footage and incredible photos that showing him standing alone in front of lane of tanks and try to stop the massacre with his individual power. And I think there are some marvelous source of courage and the power merged from this very action from a not Superman, not a famous dissident, but just a ordinary Chinese guy who said with his action, with his body, that enough is enough. And it indeed become not just an icon and inspiration for Chinese people for pursuing a change in the society, but also become a global icon that inspiring a lot of people beyond China's border. So based on that, I, I do think there is always a meaning to continuing revisiting this image again and again. And to a personal level, I, I did have the Tank Man tattooed on my arm, um, on my right arm, the arm that I used to draw uh, and making art, that as a personal reminder. Tell us the process of how you make art. What materials do you use? I would categorize my art into two very kind of different practice. One is my online practice. So I've been known as a political cartoonist that talking about China issues. And for that, I use a lot of digital form of art with Photoshop and other software to just join illustrations and political cartoons to making joke and caricatures about Chinese dictators like Xi Jinping and other issues to using online means like way the poos and other elements to deconstruct the power of dictator like Xi. And for my um, well gallery practice, which I do not really have a lot of chance to show, I am not limited myself to certain media. I do traditional painting and drawing. Um, that is uh, just a, a form of practice that I did back in China. But also I take material like neon light, which is a direct inspiration from Hong Kong street scene. I use sound work and social media interactive performance. I really do not set certain media. I know that for practical reason as contemporary artists, you know, building your brand, having one style, usually will be the golden goose that helping you to sell a lot of art or make your signature. But I do believe that every topic and subject would have the most appropriate media to represent. So I do not certainly limit myself to just one media. You talk about being inspired by Hong Kong street art. And just having a look at your work, I noticed that there was some reflections of other more classical artists. For instance, Goya. Indeed. I mean, I always feel like if we go examine the art history, particularly the Western ones, that you can almost separate everyone into two groups. One group is more searching for the meaning of beauty or, you know, extend the sensory experience, whether it's visually or from other sensory 
But there are also a particular group of artists who are not embracing the eternity of art directly. They're more paying attention and showing empathy and sympathy to the reality of their time. And I do think Goa, the Spanish master, is one of the leading artists who belong to that group who depicting the reality so deeply and so profoundly and so brutally in a way to truthfully representing what is happening in his time. Even though his motivation is recalled at the moment, but somehow this moment also become eternity. It also becomes something that marked the history and letting people like me to coming back and revisiting it again and again. There are a lot of proto arts in our history cannot easily be categorized as art that making people feel pleasant. But I do believe the human condition and struggle of our being that depicted in those very ugly, bloody, and brutal art certainly has its own meaning serving as a mirror to reflecting us as individuals, regardless of time. You mentioned how difficult it is to show your work. Is that because of Chinese state interference? Absolutely, absolutely. For me, I probably I'm one of the most censored artists globally, directly because Beijing's long arm. Back to 2018, my first solo international exhibition was censored and cancelled in Hong Kong due to the Chinese National Security Police went directly to my home in Shanghai and took my relatives to the police station for interrogation and threatening sending police to Hong Kong during the opening if I choose to proceed in the show. And since that, you know, I've having great, tremendous difficulty to actually find a gallery who would have enough courage to host show for me. And even though I did have some progress in Europe recently, in Italy two years ago, in Czech last year, and then this year in Poland and Warsaw. So eventually I did have three big exhibitions in Europe, but every exhibition, the Chinese embassy or consulate in the town will either sending email to the gallery or calling my curator or uh, even come in person directly to the museum demanding the show to be cancelled. And that just creating tremendous pressure to anyone who is supporting me, but also flagging a theorist security issues for me to doing installing and even just opening the show. And in terms of security, you always used to make all your public appearances wearing a mask. Your name is not your real name. Why did you decide to take off your mask? Well, it's not a very volunteer choice, actually. That is because after successfully hiding for about seven years behind a mask, that eventually the Chinese government and the National Security Police find out my identity. And that was just a couple of days before I canceled the Hong Kong show. And, you know, they were sending this threat to me, to my family. So after that, apparently I have to make a decision because their message is very clear. They want me to know that I know, they know who I am, and they want me to stop making any art. They're talking about the topics that, that I always desire to 
they want erase me as an artist from the scope. However, I do not, I deeply do not believe that anyone can exchange their freedom for safety. And in fact, if one does that, uh, likely that person will lose both. So after that, I decided to actually not leaning them to hold my identity against me. I want to tell them that I'm not afraid of them, I'm not scared of them. And that is why I uh, made this decision to actually showing my face in a quite public way in actually one of my documentary that's screening on a national TV in Australia, which is called China's Awful Dissident. And in the end of the documentary, I allowed the director and filmmaker to record my face and show my face in the end. So it's kind of like coming out from the political closet. Why do you think China is so threatened by you? I mean, here in the West, if uh, a leader was compared to a much-loved Winnie the Pooh, for instance, it would all just be quite funny. But it's absolutely not the case for Beijing. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I do think there's some UK leader quite fitting into that category as well, like Boris Johnson. He could be a messy bear easily. But for China, it's it's an entirely different story. Because the power of any dictatorship or authoritarian regime was building on this personal cult, especially for Xi Jinping, he is paying so much on his personal image, on this campaign of building a new guard, almost like what they did back in Mao's time. So because of that, any deconstruction mocking satire against this almost godlike image will be seen as the enemy number one. Because they know the power is building a mysterious figure. And once it's open for criticism, for mocking, for satire, and losing the foundation of its authority and making people to questioning and seeing, oh, okay, that's not a god, that's just an ordinary person like us, then the entire so-called ruling and order back in China under this terror regime will collapse. So they will not tolerate that. They will not allowing um, even a tiny movement like that. It's like a big dam and any mocking or creative behavior will be seen as a crack on the dam, even though it's a smaller one, but it will causing the great collapsing in their mind. So I believe based on that, they cannot tolerate that. But also on the other hand, they do see the power of art, that how artists can using our way to touching people's soul, emotion, and fundamentally changing people's perspective of our world. They want to harvest it as a weapon, as a propaganda tour. And on the other hand, once they know this tour is out of control, they would rather make it destroyed. And that's, I think, is the best explanation for what they're doing to artists, to voice like me. And in terms of artists and artist support, do you feel that you get the support that you deserve, that you need from the international art community? Well, I think I really appreciate those galleries that helped me. Or in Italy, the Sant'Agilla Museum, the Dogs Contemporary Art Center in Prague, Wiesdowski uh, Castle in Warsaw. You know, they are taking tremendous risk. They're putting themselves on fire 
former exhibition, they literally having pressure from the Chinese embassy and the consulate, that support, you know, I will always be very grateful and I want to applaud for their courage. However, I do think the majority of the institutions, the galleries are still very cautious on our work or artists like me, because they know that the Chinese contemporary art market is so large. And most of the time, they also don't want to get into trouble for that because let's say possible sponsor might be associated with Chinese company or capital. So yeah, I have to say I am, you know, in general, uh, very disappointed in, in, in the support from the eye industry, from the institutions. I do hope that I would have a fair shot as any artist and having an exhibition in more places. And I do hope those uh, institutions, the galleries, their mission should be the defender for the art of expression. But because those political issues, there's a lot of principle being banned and forgotten. And I do hope that they would change that opinion in the future. Finally, Bajit, so you've spoken previously about Sisyphus and, you know, this constant push of getting the rock up to the top of the hill. I wonder if you feel yours is a doomed mission, particularly when we look at something like Taiwan, which is obviously a potential enormous spark point. Yes. I think it's very important that we have to choose our hero carefully and we have to choose the hope that we believe in carefully. I do have a very dark vision of our world, giving all the problems emerging from, you know, China's problem, Taiwan wall to climate changing to the decline of democracy in the West. There are a lot of issues and there's no easy exit to all of the issues. It's always a struggle. But we, as human beings, we thrive from the struggle. So I would say it's very dangerous to set a very naive hope and saying, if I do this, then I will make a change and tomorrow will be better. No, most of the case, tomorrow will not be changed, but it does not diminish the meaning of action of individual, even though we do not see direct influence or consequence in the future. But that very action itself is still meaningful. And that is why Carmel would see Sisyphus as a heroic figure, even though he was set to this doomed mission, even though the rock were always rolling down. But the very action of become the power that challenged the impossible is the very essence of our existence of people. So that is why I believe that Sisyphus is a hero and should be worshipped as a hero for more people, particularly in this very dark time. Bajit So, thank you very much for joining me on The Big Interview on Monocle Radio. Thank you. Pleasure. And that's it for this edition of The Big Interview. It was produced by Emma Searle, researched by Caitlin Dunner, and edited by Jack Dewars. From me, Georgina Godwin, thanks very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Thank you.